Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Sparks. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Stephanie Liska, who is CEO at Beck Ag. And Stephanie, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce both Beck Ag and yourself. Okay, Sarah, thanks for the invitation to join you. Beck Ag was founded in 1997, and we are a go-to-market solutions organization. So we really help those in the agriculture industry with their go-to-market strategy, which includes everything from changing buying behaviors to making sure we're teaching the marketplace with educational strategies, as well as possibly some market research. And we underpin everything with a very robust customer database. I've been the CEO and worked alongside the founder now for just about 20 years. So we've kind of grown this little organization from an idea into a substantial business that I I believe makes a difference in the agriculture industry. Today, my role has a lot to do with what's the vision, what are we doing in the future, how are we going forward, identifying talent, and then uh, working hard to... um, really develop the talent that we identify and develop our people internally. Besides the day-to-day work, those are the big picture things I'm kind of focused on, Sarah. I think it's maybe important for our audience to know that I think you've got a really unique business model because there's a lot of agencies that focus in ag, and I think your offering is not like a traditional agency at all. It's very unique, and especially that data set that you've got, I think, makes you guys really stand out as an organization. And when you look at how customers make decisions. A lot of the work we do can't be done without agencies. We do a little bit of awareness work, but a lot of the work that uh, that you guys do and that other agencies may do focuses a lot on that awareness, focuses on a one-to-many kind of strategy. We look for everything from a one-to-many to a one-to-one conversation in the marketplace. And sometimes the education that has to go on alongside of that because of the complexity of our industry drives a lot of the training that needs to be done as well when an organization goes to market. We go to market a lot of times with an agency right alongside, definitely not in competition with. So let's take a look at how you began and how you got to where you are at today. So can you maybe take a little look backwards to your early life? Early life is kind of interesting when you start to look in the rearview mirror. I had a mother who encouraged us long ago that we could do or be whatever we wanted to be. And of course, back in the day, I was going to go home and farm. And I don't know if my father was quite ready for a daughter to farm. And of course, I had a brother. So I went ahead and enrolled in Iowa State University. And I guess I really didn't realize then how many few women were in agriculture in the early 80s until I was really in my classes and realized I'm the only one here in my classroom. And uh, because my mother was very, very active on the farm, I saw other women in different roles at the local co-op, at the bank, at you know some of those suppliers that my parents dealt with. But I guess I never really understood how actually how few women were involved until I got to college. So 
that was really early on. My education is in rural public administration. And so when I kind of look in that rearview mirror and reflect a little bit, what made a difference in my education compared to where I am today and what impacted my career the most, it wasn't necessarily the economics and the finance classes that I did have to take, but I had a substantial amount of psychology and sociology. And I think understanding how people are different, how different people think, how you believe, how they behave, and what drives and allows you to then meet people where they're at. I think that was huge in my ability to lead and my ability to really successfully move through my career. And sometimes I think more sociology and psychology both should be required in some of our curriculums today. Actually, that's really good advice because almost in all cases in ag, it ends up being so much about relationships and really, as you stated, understanding people. So can you talk about in your education, anything else that you carried forward throughout that you really felt was important? Or did you have any mentors while you were in in the university system? I was heavily involved in NAMA, the National Agri-Marketing Association. And then also ACT, ACT, Ag Communicators of Tomorrow. My minor is in agricultural journalism, so ACT made complete sense at the time as well. Those organizations were huge in my development, and I was kind of an outlier because I was not an ag business major or an ag marketing major in NAMA, but they were huge just in my ability to network, my ability to see life after college and have a glimpse on that window. Once I got out of college, though, I had some key mentors, some people I started to align myself with and really learn from, decided I want to, I love the way they lead. I love the way they manage, like their energy and their outlook. Some of those mentors said yes, and some of them were mentoring me and they probably didn't even formally know it at times. But Dale Locken, when I was with American Cyanamid, and then he went on to lead South Dakota Wheat Growers, had a huge influence in my life and really didn't treat me any differently or or didn't allow any excuses going forward, but helped me to dream about who I could become. David Parker, when I was with Agribusiness Group in the mid-90s, really helped me understand how to learn and how to communicate those learnings to others in a way that can help them make decisions about their own business. So he really helped me in that consultative role, and he took a risk. David Parker, um, along with Mike Jackson back in the day, took a huge risk on me because I was their first virtual employee. They didn't understand virtual. And of course, we'd been working semi-virtually back in the day when as a field sales rep and then as a district sales manager in the field with Cyanamid. But in the consulting world, you were all kind of headquartered out of one mini think tank, if you will. I was their first step into the virtual life. So them being able to take a risk, but then also just they both challenged me in ways that I didn't even know I needed to be challenged at the time. I think that's part of the growing up process is that you learn that those challenges are actually what help you grow. If you mm-hmm. your whole career with no challenges, you would be so stagnant for sure. Yeah. Were there any either pivotal events or big decisions that, that made a dramatic change for you? There were a couple. These may not be the answers you're you get here from others, but I think when you're at our position, and I've got a long ways to look back into the rearview mirror anymore. After a 30-year career, I think my biggest pivotals is when I realized that the dream I had at 22 is not necessarily the reality that I'm 
living now. So there was a couple of things that were really pivotal to my career. It's kind of hard to sometimes articulate to younger women because they say, well, that'll never happen to me. But until it happens, you then have to deal with it. And so probably the first thing is I got married at 22 and I said yes. And I never expected to say yes. I mean, I with my plan, I was not getting married till I was 30, right? <laughs> it was very clear that I wanted a career. It's very clear that I wanted to work. And it was very clear that I didn't want just the first job and then stay home. And so that was, he said yes to me and I said yes to him. But that changed my ability because my decisions now were not just my own. So that was a pretty pivotal play. And then the second play um, had a lot to do with the next yes was uh, about seven years after that when we had our first child. At that time, my husband was going to stay home with my babies and raise our children, and that lasted about six and a half months. So it became very clear that his happiness was not going to be accomplished in that way. And he was ahead of his time, and the Midwest was not ready for that behavior and for a father to be in uh, taking care of the kids and in the play groups and things like that. He was uncomfortable. So we said yes to his happiness and had to think differently than what our original plan was. So both of those impacted my career but didn't change it drastically, probably actually changed it for the better. And I didn't know it was even happening, but kind of adjusted the dream. The corporate ladder, you know, when you have to bounce to the east and you have to move again every three years, that had slowed down. And so I limited some of my options with some of my choices, what I was saying yes to at the time. So those were key pivotal ones. And then when you think and look about the industry, the industry consolidation, the changes in technology, I mean, all of us can look in the rearview mirror and see some of those key pivotal changes. And if I wasn't ready to change when Roundup Ready technology was launched into this industry, then shame on me because that changed an industry. And I needed to be able to change and think differently about my career at that point. I want to explore that a little bit. But before we do that, one of the things we've never really touched on as a topic, as you pointed out that maybe we hadn't, is really how our interpersonal relationships impact our trajectory for a career. And they affect you know almost every one of us is influenced in some way, even if we don't ever marry, by our relationships and, and where we end up. I guess I'm encouraged that you said it ended up being a good thing because for some people, it doesn't end up necessarily being a positive outcome. But we always start out with that really hopeful feeling like this is going to be teamwork and we're going to get through this together. Um, and I actually did have a husband who stayed home and raised the kids and had a home-based business in order for him to do that. Not a lot of guys are really comfortable in that space. Surely not. You know, and you and I are about the same age, so... Mm -hmm. Surely back then it was a big deal for him. Let's explore a little bit that idea that you it's a give and take, you know, when you enter a relationship on where you're going to end up with your career. And, and sometimes love wins out. And those are the choices we make. You know, Sarah, it is give and take. But even in your career, I've even watched a number of single women who made the decision that they chose career and they chose that and that their relationships and their interpersonal relationships were going to be defined differently. Even those individuals have had to redefine success because what we put in stone at 22 is not what we end up at 30 and at 38 and at 52. We have to continually choose to redefine success because we can't predict the future. And the other thing is our industry is changing ever so rapidly. I think the other piece about it is sometimes 
we let too many other people define success for us within Beck Ag. I have some very, very talented women. I mean, we're talking multiple degrees, PhDs, MBAs, extraordinary experience. And they stepped back and chose to stay at home and work on contract maybe 30 hours a month just to keep their toe in the industry. And that's their definition of success. As an industry, as a gender, sometimes we don't celebrate the differences that we have for that definition of success. Instead, we kind of make stay-at-home moms, make some of us feel guilty because we're on an airplane three days a week. Those who are on an airplane three days a week pass guilt and judgment, and we unconsciously don't even know it. And that's not fair to anyone. I think the biggest piece of this is all of us have to define success and own our own definition of success and share it with others. Because when we start taking on either the perceptual judgment or guilt or whatever we want to call it from others, especially other women, and that's why I almost pause sometimes at some of the just women in ag events, is because we have a lot of talent that makes different choices. And some of them make choices to take roles and positions outside of agriculture. My daughter just made one of those choices. And she's bringing a lot of the work ethic and a lot of the client skills that she learned in this industry to another industry. I think we just have to celebrate and make sure when we're mentoring each other, when we're being mentored, that we are really working on our definition of success. That's awesome advice. That's actually great advice. And that idea that it is evolving over time and you should just anticipate that and not necessarily be either disappointed or feel like you didn't really achieve what you thought you were going to. There are too many unknowns, so many unknowns ahead. Let's talk maybe a little bit about some obstacles. Do you have any stories about obstacles that you overcame to get where you're at? I wrote down in preparation for our conversation here, how many stories do you want? <laughs> so I never saw them as obstacles because I was a woman. Other than one, I, I just always still giggle at this today. And I think if I'd meet him on the street, he would he would remember this little interaction. But I was a crop protection sales rep back in the day when I first started, shortly out of college. We had some hard stuff that we had to get through. It was back in the days of Scepter. We were killing corn and a few other things. And not every program always matched the needs of every retailer. And I had the opportunity to walk into one co-op. And the general manager at the time met me at the front desk and just yelled at me like there was no tomorrow and had every opinion under the sun and every piece of foul language that went with it. And his wife worked behind the desk. And she walked over to him and she said, Jim, you treat this young lady with respect and just scolded him in front of me, which she would have never done for a male rep. And he looked at her and said, if she wants to play in this man's world, she's going to have to take it like a man. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. You gotta get out of and here. without missing a beat, I looked at him and I said, I'm here to play. Give it to me. And he laid it down, and I said, now you need to take this. I said, here's how this program's going to work. And she looked at me and went, I think you'll fit in just fine around here. <laughs> but it was a moment that I think I got back in my car, and I probably drove a mile and a half away and started crying. But <laughs> I was scared. I was nervous. But I also knew I had to have the confidence to hold my own because there was nothing I did wrong. There was nothing. But that was a generational. That's, I had to meet him where he was at at the time. 
I had to get through some of those generational things, I suppose, because, I mean, we're talking 30 years ago now, right? So I had to get through some of those generational pieces. But I think there's also some stuff, Sarah, quite honestly, that I was probably either too naive or just wanted to sit back and go, I'm really in this situation. And I had to ask myself a couple times, does it matter? Is it going to matter? There was not a retailer that I wouldn't go into where their bathrooms didn't have pinups all over them. (laughs) There wasn't a retailer that I wouldn't go into where there was probably some inappropriate joke that wasn't told or a farmer who questioned whether I should even be out in the field or not. And I had to meet them where they were at because they had a daughter too or they had a wife and really talk to them about why I was there and not what they're perceptually thought. There were some times that, and yep, I had to work probably just a little bit harder. But today, I challenge all of us. We all have to work a little bit harder. So does that young gentleman who's taken that job. Because you want to differentiate yourself. You want to have someone notice, whether it's a customer or a client or whether it is your boss. So you're going to have to work a little harder. You're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to do something that's not on that job description to set yourself apart. I don't care what gender you are. That was just the reality that I took away from the farm from my early years, but then also from my mentors. Yeah, the stories can go on and on, but the stories only made me stronger and helped me understand how to deal with totally different kinds of people. And I know from knowing you that you had that confidence because you were prepared. I just know from being in the industry with you that that's a large part of how you can have confidence is by actually putting in the time, working hard, just like you described. Sarah, that's with anybody. I've had guys show up and you just kind of look at them and go, seriously? (laughs) I don't think you're ready for this conversation. Send them back to the drawing board. And watch them be sent back to the drawing board by other men, other clients and customers as well, just because they're not prepared. Too often we say, well, he's not listening to me because I'm female or because I'm whatever. I mean, really, were you ready? Were you ready for the conversation? So that's a great point. So can you talk about being a mentor? If you've ever been a mentor to anyone, what that was like? Uh, yes, I've been a mentor. Sometimes I've been what I call a short-term mentor, um, just in a situ- in situational leadership roles. I think the biggest thing where I had a really successful mentee-mentor relationship, as the mentor, the mentee is really ready. I love the gals and the guys who call me and say, can you work with me for six weeks? Will you work with me for a year? Versus the supervisors who say, can you mentor my person? Because those people, I mean, one of the first calls is tell me why you're here. And it's like, well, so-and-so told me. You really have to be open and honest and ready to be mentored. And those who are ready accelerate their growth over and over. And they see things in themselves. They watch behaviors in others. And they apply and do so quickly that it's very rewarding as a mentor. Sometimes you get we end up with mentees um, that know they need a mentor, but they don't necessarily need know why. And so then we get to help explore that just a little bit. And we get to help set goals. But they've got to be open to that goals conversation. And sometimes our goals become very, very simple or what seem to be simple. But those first little goals lead to bigger goals and bigger conversations longer term. I've also worked with mentees that just aren't ready that have been asked by someone to be mentored. And that's okay. 
that's a start. If you're not open to it, it's it's going to be a struggle for both the mentor and the mentee. It sounds maybe a little bit like the responsibility for the relationship falls on the mentee. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you've mentored a number of people. Your thoughts? I would totally agree with you on that. It just it makes a huge difference. If you're going to ask someone to be a mentor to you, don't make them carry you around. <laughs> you have to set up the meetings and be prepared and know, you know, know what it is you're trying to get out of the relationship and help them. They're typically very busy people. You know, that's why you chose them it's because they're what they've got going on in their lives is making them who they are and i would really challenge people if you're looking for a mentor maybe look outside the industry look outside the people you're like wow that's what i want to be someday you know i want to be her someday look outside of gender norms look outside of you know so i enjoy mentoring men just as much as i do women to be honest with you and working with them because they want to be improved. They want self-improvement, self-development. Sometimes it's the woman who's, who really comes to me and says, I need to be mentored because there's women in ag stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. So we have to step back and, and really look at different things on how they're defining their success and what environment they're working in and you know what kind of relationship they have that they feel that there's an issue in their career because of their gender and see where that's really coming from. Some of it sometimes is very real and has to be addressed. And we can help them mentor them on how to talk to HR about it and how to talk to other leaders in the organization about their circumstances. But then also, I've helped some other women look in the mirror and say, well, maybe this is coming from my you know, for me, the way I'm seeing myself and not necessarily the way others are seeing me. That's pretty deep, but man, there's just, there's so much in that relationship and that mentor-mentee relationship that can go so many different ways. I think the other thing as a mentor, though, sometimes we have to know when we're outside of our box of expertise and I have to be able to say, you know what, you need to call Sarah or you need to call this person because your problem would be better answered by them. So you've already had quite a few little nuggets of advice here, but if you were going to kind of sum up what you think your best advice is for people young in their careers, what would that be? For women young in their careers, if you look at yourself in the morning and you're not sure if you should wear that or not, go change. (laughs) That's probably the one real tactical thing. And yep, it is different for us. I've always told all the women I've worked with over the years, you, you dress a half a step better than the guys. If you get dirty, always have a change of clothes in the car, especially if you're working with livestock or in the field. It's just a fact of life. And that's not just in agriculture, that's just in any organization. So I know that's really tactical in the weeds and stuff, but I would also tell you, work on your identity. Your identity cannot be found on a business card, on a title on a business card, or in a role in an organization. Only you can identify who you are. Only you have the power to have the definition of balance for yourself, and only you can define your success. Too many people where their identity is found in their business card or found in that role. And when that organization makes changes and they're now without a job, they struggle to even know how to function. Or when someone else is promoted ahead of them, if they don't do a lot of self-reflection, they do a lot of finger pointing. Understand that your identity has to be found within yourself. It has to be defined by yourself, just like your balance does and your success. And I just can't stress that enough. That is awesome advice. So you went from super tactical to just like very, very, very deep advice. 
That's true. And I think if you've ever been someone who lost a job or had a big loss in your life, you all of a sudden you realize how important that actually is to have your own identity and have it be solid. It's kind of funny. A lot of my employees around here hear me say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, because they're all wrapped up over some deadline, client deadline. I'm like, is anybody bleeding or dying? Is anybody going to bleed or die over the fact that we're missing this or the fact that this is happening? And we focus a lot about delivering excellence and wowing clients because it is a very small industry and there's only so many of them out there, right? And so we want everybody to have a really positive experience. But at the end of the day, tears are not for client experience. They're for family. Tears are, you know, we can have some tears of joy around here if we need to. But we really have to put life into perspective. And I think this comes a little bit with age because when you're 22, you're, you can conquer the world. But life experiences show you that sometimes work has got to be third. Sometimes work has got to be first, too. But sometimes work has got to come third. Your God, your family, your work. I put those three in, you know, where do they come in your life? I think it's just really hard sometimes uh, to realize that when you're 22. I think if you put your job into that number one spot, that you're you're not going to be happy right. in the long exactly. run. I actually want to go back to what you were talking about, uh, the first piece of advice with the, what you should put on in the morning. And we've had discussions here, you know, in our office, and, and I've had discussions at NAMA with other women about this idea of our appearance. And it just kind of struck me one day that I want people to remember me for my ideas. We leave the room. I wanted to, that. Well, those are great ideas. Not what was she wearing or why was that so? And especially if it's either your skirt's too short or your cleavage is an issue or whatever that is. That's not what you want people to remember you for. You want right. them to remember your ideas. You want them to remember your ideas. You want them to remember how you contributed to making a difference to them. And so often you can't even focus on the difference because of, you know, whatever. It's too short, too tight, too low, too high. Go with that boring pair of black pants that look like your mother's. If you even think about and you look in the mirror and say, should I wear this today? Just that's a trigger. Go change. Go change. I always tell gals, if you're wearing the tank top, your armholes should hug your armpits and it needs a collar. And they look at me and I'm like, just a sleeveless collar polo. Just wear something like that. And I said, then you know you can't go wrong. If you're worried about that button, just button it and call it good. So let's change our topics a little bit and kind of talk about what you're seeing in the industry and um, what you're most concerned about that's happening out in ag. Well, the consolidation is huge right now, and you and I have talked about that in a number of different times. And, you know, what's the ripple effect of consolidation, not just from the short-term ripple of distraction, right, and where organizations are or are not going, but I also look at the pace of innovation, and how fast are we innovating, and are we talking enough to the customer and meeting customer needs, with innovation and or education and can and where can education be innovation so i've had that conversation a couple of times um with different people here just recently and then probably sarah the last thing that i've been really kind of struggling with and observing and listening i've been asked to speak at a couple of different universities here recently in their women in ag days talking about change and change leadership both of those organizations this past winter stood up and celebrated the number of women or they've broken 50 percent of their enrollment is now or more is now women in agriculture 
that's awesome. I mean, go back to the beginning of this interview. I was the only one in the classroom. <laughs> what a change. Back in the day. I still go back or I still go on campus and somebody will, somebody will say, yeah, I remember you were in our ag law class. And I'm like, I was. <laughs> I was easy to remember. I couldn't remember those guys for anything. That's huge. That's huge to say how far we've come. But I challenged one group of individuals uh, in a meeting in Kansas City here not too long ago. And they represented a broad base of our industry, and I was the only female, and we were all about the same age. So that trend, you know, has continued in my career when you look at age. But I was the female around the table, so I could say this. I said I'm really concerned that a lot of our ag colleges, the majority of the enrollments now are women, and talent is a deficit in our industry, both on the production side, high labor-intensive talent, all the way to intellectual talent. We are at a deficit, and when you start to when you start to look at enrollment and you start to look at just the fundamental basics of how many women enter the workforce, and then women get to make a choice. How many of these women are going to choose to step out for a certain amount of time and raise a family? I mean, we talked about the choices I've had to make. Not everyone gets to make the choices, Sarah, that you and I got to make and stay in our careers because our husbands are amazing, right? Right. And some people have some really amazing husbands with some really good incomes, and it makes the most financial sense for the wife to take a step back. And that happens on a, on a trajectory more often than not on the female side. So where are all the men going? Because if we're graduating 100 people and... 52 of them are women, and I lose a third of those women at some point. Sooner or later, our intellectual capital, if you will, in agriculture, our employees in agriculture, and even maybe our production employees could be waning, who have the true agricultural background and the true agricultural education. Maybe that's a false assumption, but I just start to think about that. I have no data to um, prove that today within the agricultural industry, but I think it's something that we need to start to look at and start to ask questions about and say, so now what's the impact of this? We worked hard to diversify. We're at 50-50. What's that going to mean if we start to go to a 60-40 and, and women are the, are the number one seats in the classroom? Something to think about. To your point about you know celebrating all of the decisions that we make and, and not people feel bad because they take those breaks or they pull back for a while and then come back in definitely ties that all together. And mm-hmm. we should be really just supporting agriculture, period. We just need to celebrate the decisions, but then also to say, okay, how are we going to grow? What's our human capital strategy here as we continue to go forward? There's also a lot to be said in this space and in agriculture for the um, two-year programs, you know, kind of the dirty jobs and a lot of what Mike Roe has talked about, there's still a lot of labor-intensive work that has to be done in agriculture. I don't care what segment you're in. That can pay really well. That can make a significant difference. That is highly technical anymore that we need in this industry. And that brings a lot of joy and success to people. And it may not be a four-year degree. A lot of balance there that has to be achieved. Absolutely. Change topics on you again. I would like to know what you think people will say about you and think about you when you've gotten to the point where you've stepped aside from what you're doing now. 
What do you hope that will be? First of all, that whole question about when you step aside, sometimes it's hard to think about that part. <laughs> <laughs> some days it's not. Some days it's not. Well, well, some days when you're supposed to fly home and you end up in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Driving for five hours after that. Yes, and then driving for five more hours. So stepping aside, I hope at some point the people I touch, whether it's in, in or inside or outside of my career, people can say, you know what? My life was better because I took something from my relationship with her. And if they can just say that, and maybe, you know, for our employees, their life was better because they earned a paycheck. That was more than fair. Maybe it was that simple. Maybe it was just a piece of advice in passing that they asked for. Maybe it was more of a formal mentor-mentee relationship, or maybe it was somebody that I got to raise up to develop to, uh, you know, to take over this Beck Ag gig someday. If they can say that, I'll look back and smile. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think we'd all feel that way about what we hope people would think about us. So last question. Here's our, here's our money question. So what is a question that no one asks you, but you've got this awesome answer to? I was trying to think about that because you told me this question would, would probably show up, right? And keep coming. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Skip is it, it real philosophical? Is it real whatever? I tried to be as transparent as possible. And I think pe- I think I surprise people when they say, so what's the hardest thing about your career? And I'm like, oh, the decision to get married. Because I don't necessarily have, and we don't, as a culture in our own organization, we do life together. We don't try to separate the two. We don't try to bucket, you know, work into, and and, uh, and God bless the millennials. They're getting it, right? I mean, they, they come almost to an extreme with that, right? Yeah. But I do think there's an opportunity here. I, I don't have any magical answers, but I do think probably in the wisdom of my years, we've lost my husband's mother now. My parents are aging, and, and it's just wonderful to talk with them and to experience that um, and to listen to my father's history about the farm and 57 years ago they farrowed their first pig in dry lot huts kind of thing where the farrowing industry the farrow to finish industry is now today so you start to think about oh my gosh the amount of change that they've seen and how open they had to be to change and I just think that is so critical because we make our lives so hard because we're not open to change. So we just need to sometimes pull it up by the bootstraps and go, you know what? If I don't like it, I need to I need to look for plan B. Because what I do know is this industry gives us a work ethic, it gives us it gives us a grounding that other industries do not have and will seek out. So question then becomes, do I, you know, do I leave agriculture? And I have had some people come back to this industry saying that was the thing I I, I never want to leave again. There's plenty of opportunities out there. Well, I think that's an awesome comment to wrap up with. And Stephanie, I so appreciate your time today and the advice you gave our young audience. And I will absolutely look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for having me, Sarah. And I look forward to listening to others as well because we're never too old to learn. Right. Absolutely true. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. And that wraps up this episode of Spark. And we hope you all join us for the next one. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.